You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, have you ever wondered how I generate thousands of inbound leads per year using LinkedIn? Well, this episode is sponsored by my guide, The Ultimate Guide to Generating Inbound Leads with LinkedIn. This is the definitive guide on how to consistently generate inbound leads using LinkedIn and social selling. So if you want a copy of that guide, just send a text to 44222 with the word L-I guide, all one word, L-I guide to 44222, or you can go to my website at askdennisbrown.com forward slash guide. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Howard Tiersky. He's the author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance, and is the founder of two companies that enable large brands to win the digital world. The first one is From, which is the digital transformation agency he created. And the other one is Innovation Loft. Howard's a successful entrepreneur who's been named by IDG as one of the top 10 digital transformation influencers to follow today and by Enterprise Management 360 as one of the top 10 digital transformation influencers that will change your world. So welcome to the show, Howard. Thanks for having me, Dennis. Happy to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Interesting. We were talking before we hit record here about today's topic and, and I'm really excited and here's why. Because here's the reality. We're, it's kind of this whole, you know, catchphrase, the new norm, right? Things have changed in a very rapid way due to circumstances outside of everybody's control. And that doesn't just mean you and me, Howard, that means all of our customers and everybody who's listening, their customers, things have changed. The way they buy, the reasons they buy, the pain they have, you know, everything has really changed. A lot has changed. And so I think that coming out of this pandemic, you know, this, this book is very timely because coming out of this pandemic, coming out of this is a lot of things, people are going to have to make some adjustments. And the thing that we're going to hone in on today is what you kind of call rapid customer research. And we're going to talk about how to do, why you need to, number one, do some research on your customers post-COVID. Number two, how to do that. And then some actionable things that you can do so that, you know, you can actually see some, you know, some, some net benefit out of this whole process. So, I'm excited to dig in. We've never really talked about this on the podcast, but before we do that, tell us a little bit about the book. When did it launch? Is it launched yet? Where are we at? Sure. Absolutely. And that all sounds great. I'm excited to dive into all that. The book launched in October of last year. Actually, the hardcover came out in January. It's uh, We're really proud of it. Um, we've got, I think, something like 14,000 copies sold so far. So uh, it's not uh, like Michelle Obama's uh, biography, but uh, for what it is, a uh, you know, business book meant to help companies uh, with the really the nuts and bolts of what it takes to be successful in this digital world. You know, I called it winning digital customers because I feel like so many businesses are trying to figure out how to become digital businesses. And to me, having worked for honestly over 20 years with brands on this transformation to be successful in this increasingly digital world, what I realize is it's not about every company being necessarily all digital, not at all but rather to recognize that your customers are becoming increasingly more and more, well, they're increasingly living a lifestyle with digital at the center more and more every day. And as you point out, COVID has certainly accelerated that even more. 
which means that you as a successful business have to adapt. If your customer is changing, you have to change to keep up with what you need to do to be relevant to that customer's needs. And so um, to me, the secret to success today is winning those digital customers, those customers that are living the digital lifestyle. And I think customer research is a fantastic topic to be talking about because one of the biggest mistakes I think businesses make is to sort of just assume that they understand their customers, they get their customers. And in reality, well, having done this so many times, I know that most businesses do have some insight into their customers. There's no doubt. And they're also missing some key insights about their customers, which can help them drive even more effective differentiation. Yeah, love it. As if things weren't changing fast enough prior to COVID with all everything that's going on digital and, and video and all the so, new social media platforms and all the new technology that's rapidly you know, being deployed. Now we have a whole new you know, element to add to the mix. So tell us a little bit about your business. So, I mean, I know you have the, you're an author, you have this book, but tell us, just gives us a little insight into your actual business. When did you start you know, from, and I think it was called From, right? The Digital Transformation Agency? Yes, When did you launch right. that? In 2008, I was working for a, a large global a consulting company called Capgemini, which had acquired actually before that I was with Ernst & Young Consulting. And then our consulting division got acquired. So I became part of a different big global consulting company. And my responsibility there was I was responsible for part of our e-commerce practice. So I was essentially flying around the world, working with large brands on different aspects of e-commerce and the world of digital at the time, which of course was similar in some ways and quite different in other ways to the world we see today. And decided at a certain point to go out on my own. I decided to leave the, uh, you know, the big cushy corporate job and start my own company with a couple of colleagues. And we felt we were ready to still very similar type work, but just under our own shingles. So we started with one client. Our first client was Universal Studios Theme Parks, where we were brought in to rethink the customer ticket purchase experience for the theme parks. And well, from there, uh, we just grew. Uh, it's, that was already, what is that, 13 years ago. And it's just been a great, it's been a great ride. We have over 100 people now in the company, and we're working with dozens and dozens and dozens of global brands from Avis to Airbus to AAA. We only work with brands starting with A, actually. No, NBC Universal continues to be a big client of ours. And um, our work continues to transform because the world of digital transforms. But fundamentally, our work is working with brands on how to develop the right strategies to adapt to this changing digital world and then to execute them through user, great user experience and design and technology implementation and ongoing metrics and analysis to make sure everything's working well and that you're continuing to evolve and adapt. Love it. So most, most of your clients from a consulting perspective are more enterprise type businesses. Yes, yes. Are we, more of them B2C are or they're probably more B2C or B2B or is it kind of you know, a mix? It's, it's really a mix. And you know, it's I did a I did a, another a podcast recently on the topic of every business is really B two B, which is perhaps a little bit of an overstatement. But you know, I would say probably a third of our customers are what you would call a classic B two B business. Someone like Airbus, for example. However, you know, many companies that are in the B two C business, like take one of our clients right now, Barnes and Noble Education. So you know, they run college bookstores on college campuses all across the country, hundreds of them. So is that a B2C business or a B2B business? Well, on the one hand, they run retail stores. The students come in and buy their books. Sounds B2C. But on the other hand, you know, their business is working with universities to establish bookstores. And so obviously, they have a huge B2B selling process to go into a new university to take over. And their job is to basically outsource a university bookstore. And you know, even if you look at a classic consumer packaged goods company like you know, Procter & Gamble, are they in a B2C business? Well, Kind of, but who are their real customers? Grocery stores, distributors, like that's who really buys the product from them. They don't sell, you can't call up Procter and Gamble and say, hey, please send me some Charmin. So, you know, I think that factor really means that we think about B2C and B2B aspects 
in almost every client that we work. Perfect. Can you give us a sense? I mean, you started in 2008. You said you had about 100 employees. Could you give us some sort of growth? I mean, are you on a high, fast growth trajectory? I mean, can you give us a revenue range or something to kind of hone in a little bit on the size of the company or what you've been able to grow in the last, what, 13 years? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, one thing I love about running my own business is that I get to decide what are the measures and standards of success. We don't have any investors. We don't have any debt, you know, so love it. It was never my goal. And frankly, I always found it stressful to be working for a company. It's like, okay, we got to double every year. We got a 10 X by the end of two years. You know, that's never been my personal goal. My goal was always to, you know, make a great living, do the kind of work that I want to do. And that my business is, has enabled me to do that. So if you look at our growth curve, it, it doesn't look like you might think within probably a year or year and a half of the company's founding, we probably had about 80 people. And if you look at our graph over time, then, you know, we started in 2008. So of course, you know, as you can imagine, I mean, given what was happening in the economy, things got worse. At a certain point, we were down probably close to 40 or 50 people. And then we've kind of gone up and down a little bit over the years in that range. I'm sure that this year is going to be our best year ever. Um, Coming back, obviously, last year was not such a great year. We had certainly some acceleration of digital transformation efforts with COVID, but we also had huge budget cuts and companies, obviously, you know, in difficult financial times. So it's up and down. But to me, that's not a problem because it's never been my goal to say, how do I build a million person company or whatever, like the kind of companies that I came from. So um, anyway, so that's kind of been, been our trajectory. But this year for sure is going to be our biggest year ever. And we're hiring like crazy now, in part, I think, because of some of the content marketing work that we've done to get our name out there even more, including the book. And in part, because you know, every, things are coming back, right? Companies are recognizing, and I don't pretend to have any better economic crystal ball than anybody else, but certainly the mood seems to be things are coming back. COVID is, you know, waning. And while things are still difficult from a business perspective, the kind of clients that we're working with need to be preparing now because they're really hoping to have a great second half of the year. And so we're super, super busy, busier than we've ever been. Perfect. All right. So listen, we got a lot to unpack. Let's dive into this whole rapid customer research, the why, the how, all of that. If you could pull that apart for us, that would be great. And then I'll let you take it over from here. Yeah, sure. Well, I am constantly amazed at how little customer research is done in general. That's not to say that no customer research is done. Of course, customer research is done. But to me, the essential measure of the success of a business, the number one measure in my experience is how effectively that business is able to influence customer behavior. If your business, if you are able to get your customers to do what you want them to do, that will cover a multitude of sins in other areas of your business that may not be perfectly optimized. I'm not saying that's the only thing. I'm just saying if you're doing that right, you can be doing a lot of other things not perfectly and you can have an awesome business. And if you are unsuccessful at getting your customer to do what you want them to do, then you could be doing your accounting can be fantastic, you know, <laughs> your supply chain can be optimized and you're probably going out of business. So to me, That's the first thing any business needs to be thinking about is what are their economic goals, but how does that translate into customer behavior? And so then if you buy into my premise there that the number one goal of a successful business is to influence the behavior of their customers, how do you do that? How do you get people to do what it is that you want them to do? And I would say there's many things you can do, but it starts from understanding the customer. If you want anybody to do something that you want them to do, you're going to be in a best position to do that to make sure you understand what it is that they want, what it is that they care about, what is it that's holding them back. For every person who looks at your company and doesn't do business, why not? Why did they consider it and decide no? If you don't know the answers to those questions, 
And how are you going to win more of them? Because if you can get 10% more of them or 20% more of them, that's probably huge for your business, but you need to know why. And you don't want to be guessing. And so, and once you know what's holding people back, is it the way you charge sales tax? Is it the shipping options that you provide? Is it your product selection? Is it there's something about your marketing that's turning them off? Is it something confusing on your website? You know, it could be any one of a multitude of things. How do you figure out what those things are? And then what's because because usually once you know what the issue is that's holding someone back from purchasing, for example, and purchasing isn't the only customer behavior we care about, but just as an example, well, very often the answer to what to do about it isn't that hard to figure out. It's like, okay, people aren't seeing the checkout button. Let's make it bigger. Let's make it brighter. Let's raise it higher up on the page. You can quickly, very often come up with some ideas to solve the problem. But if you're just sitting there saying, well, how do we improve our business? I don't know. Maybe we should have a sale. Well, maybe we should get a cartoon character to be our mascot. Maybe we should. I mean, now you're just guessing. So customer research is how you aim the most important strategic decisions to your business. And that's why I believe it's invaluable. Love it. And the relevance now of COVID and everything that's changing so rapidly is like we the premise that we started with is that people, you don't even know how your customers have changed over the last 12 months, but I can assure you they have definitely changed. And if you don't understand that, you know, you're, you're obviously heading off to a journey to, you know, without a map, right? And you, if you don't have that roadmap, you're going to be in trouble. So I think every business, large and small, needs to reevaluate and take a closer look at that. That, that doesn't mean that you got to spend, you know, six months doing customer research before you have anything actionable. And I think that's what you're going to kind of share with us today, which is, you know, some strategies on how businesses can actually do rapid research. So, you know, from there, why don't, why don't you take it over and share with us a little bit? That's absolutely right. And I think, you know, if, if I were a small and medium business and I was like, gosh, I don't want to go spend a boatload of money and hire a market research company, but I just want to kind of get the benefit of, you know, one of the things about research is there's a diminishing return curve. What I always say is talking to one customer and really understanding their needs is really not sufficient, but it's so much better than talking to zero customers. You know, the difference between one and zero is enormous. And the difference between two and one is also quite large. And the difference between five and two, at a certain point, you know, the difference between talking to a hundred customers and 50 customers isn't nearly as big as the difference between talking to one and two. So, you know, you have to figure out what's the right sample size for any research. But I think that just to do, even if all you're able to invest in is to say, you know what? I may be running this business, but I'm going to take myself and one of my other key people, and we're going to spend two or three days. And I realize that's a lot for a business owner, but we're going to spend two or three days or, you know, two or three, a number of half days spread out over whatever, really focusing in on making sure we understand the customer. I think that's a very, very good investment. And what I want to offer you are maybe some suggestions about how I might spend that time if I was just trying to do something very simple, practical, straightforward, and quick. And, you know, as you mentioned my book earlier, I mean, I spend you know, 125 pages of my book or something like that, detailing a variety of different uh, customer research techniques. And then because my publisher told me if my book was more than 400 pages, nobody would buy it. So I cut out like hundreds of pages of books and hundreds of pages. And we have a website that's also additional supplemental material, including tools and additional PDFs and other things. So to really make sure we're giving you as much as possible on this question of, so how do I do research? But let me just give you some high levels because you don't have to use every tool or read every chapter or watch every video in order to be able to get the general idea. So here's how I would approach research. The first thing, and we're going to talk a little bit briefly about things like surveys and interviews and some things that you can, you can easily do. But let me start by saying the number one thing you have to do about doing any kind of customer research is develop what I call research questions. And that means not what you want to ask people, like the, the script, but just 
what do you want to know? Um, so much research gets done without clarity on, well, what are we trying to find out? So you have to ask yourself for your business, what is it that if I really knew what my customer cared about with respect to issue A, B, or C, that would be the thing that would guide me. And so sometimes it can be as simple as why do people buy or why do they not buy? That's a great question. It could be why do people return your product when they return it? Or it could be why when people upsell, you know, when they when they stay for dessert at your restaurant or whatever your business is, when they go that extra mile and, and bring you more revenue in a given transaction, what is it that triggers that? What causes that? These are some of the kinds of questions because that's actionable, right? You know, what's holding people back, what's causing them to engage in the behavior, those types of things. So you need to think, brainstorm for yourself. If we could read minds and we could pick three things that we could automatically read the minds of our customers, what would we want to know what would be the most actionable? So that's the first thing you want to do. And then it's like, okay, well, how do I get the answers to those questions? The most valuable initial thing that you should do is you should talk to customers, talk to your customers. Now, the question then becomes about what and how do you speak to them? Well, first of all, you want to you identify, well, maybe the very first question is, who should you speak to? So you want to think about, okay, if I'm going to speak to, you know, how many people do I need to speak to? And, and usually you want to get some diversity. So if you have different types of customers, for example, if you're running a bakery, you have some people who come in just to buy cookies for their household. You have other people buy wedding cakes. You have other people that are planning a huge party. So you want to think about, well, you have some different types of customers and you probably want to look at some, you know, a few from each category. A classic rule of thumb in research is to try to speak to eight to 12 people from each key distinct segment. So if you want to do that properly and you conclude you have three segments and maybe you want to talk to 36 people, maybe you want to try to start smaller and, and grow from there. But that would be a, like a common rule of thumb. And then what I like to do is do interviews and ask people not the least useful question that I think you can ask a customer is, what should I change in my business for it to be more appealing to you as a customer? Customers sometimes want to tell you that. They want to tell you their ideas, but and it's fine. It's polite to ask and polite to listen, but really that's not the most valuable thing because they may not know how you can improve your business to make them more of a customer, more, more, want to be more of a customer. You don't want to ask them questions about your business. You want to ask them questions about what they know about, which is themselves. And so you want to ask, and one of the, my favorite techniques, and I'm just trying to give you a few small things here in a brief time, there's again more in the book, is ask people to tell you the story of their last transaction or their last interaction. So for example, let's say you're an accounting firm and you speak to a customer. You say, well, how did you choose? I want you to walk me through the process that you went through in picking the accounting firm. Let's say they're your client and you want to speak to, by the way, to probably some people that are your client and some people that are not your client, but you want to go, maybe go to your client. And you say, so tell me, how did it start? What made you decide I need to go shopping for an accounting firm? Did you already have one? Did you not have one? What made you want to change if you already had one? And then what did you do? Did you Google? Did you ask your friends? And just have them tell you the story of how they went through the decision process. When you first talked to me, what did you think? What were your concerns? How did you resolve them? And just really get them to share with you the saga, if you will, of what they went through. Just that understanding that story will probably you know, give you all kinds of insights. I can't predict what they are in any given situation, but I find that's much better than asking them a bunch of multiple choice questions. And it's better than asking them questions that they don't know the answer to, like what you should do. And then when you ask a bunch of people these kinds of stories, and by the way, you want to look to your list of research questions. And if someone says, well, I talked to you and you seemed really great. So I decided to hire you. I would ask a question like, oh, well, that's wonderful. I'm so glad you hired me. But was there anything that you were uncertain about? Like maybe you hired me, but you were still a little uncertain about something at that time. And they might be like, well, 
You know, it's funny you mention it. I was wondering if you were a large enough company to really handle all my needs. It's fine now, but that was one thing that was on my mind. Well, now you know that there was something that was holding them back a little bit. Now, they may have gone ahead and hired you anyway, but write that down, right? And if you start to hear that from a bunch of different people, you start to realize that maybe you're losing some customers because people have that concern. You know, people do things for two reasons. There's what pulls them forward to want something, and there's what pulls them back to make them uncertain or hesitate. And you want to explore both of those things so that you can magnify the things that pull people forward. And I'm talking about sales now, of course, there's other aspects of customer experience other than sales, but it's a good kind of concrete example. And what are the things that are pulling people back? Because once you understand those things, it starts to get pretty obvious pretty quick what you need to do to change your messaging or change your product. If there's something about what you're offering, someone says, well, you know, the main reason that held me back is you're insisting on a one-year commitment. Gosh, I don't know if, I, if I'm ready for that. And you might realize that maybe that's not such a good idea and you should start to experiment with changing that, things like that. So talking to people in these kinds of structured interviews and having them walk you through their experience is good. And a variation on that that I would encourage is if you can actually observe them using your product or experiencing your customer journey, that's even better. So for example, we do a lot of work with Avis rental cars. We'll get customers and we'll say, do you have an upcoming trip that you need to book a rental car for? And if they say yes, we're like, great, we're on Zoom or whatever, share your screen. Let's book that rental car right now. And we'll say, walk us through your process. And we want to actually observe you going through whatever you would do. You don't have to, you know, you're going to go to the Avis website or you're going to go to Orbitz or you're going to start Googling rental cars, whatever. And we start to get to understand and actually not even hear the story, but actually watch it in real time. And so depending on the nature of your business, that may or may not be practical, but when you can actually get them to, you know, assemble your product in front of you and watch them actually put together that IKEA table and get to observe wherever they have problems, challenges, points of pain, these are all opportunities to improve the experience and hopefully differentiate more. No, I love that. And I think that that's a really important step. Unfortunately, and I'm going to be a realist and I've been around small business owners for a very long time. The majority of people listening to this won't do it. And I'm going to challenge everybody to listening to this right now that, you know, I mean, Howard just laid out a pretty simple framework of how you could do this, right? This interview process. And it's not like it has to happen over the course of a day. I mean, you could interview 10 people over the course of 10 weeks, you know what I mean? And then aggregate the data. I mean, the fact is you've got to do something to really hone in and get a better feel for your customer. It was important prior to COVID and it's even more important now. So now that we've aggregated, you've given us some ideas on how to aggregate some data and some to better understand what they're feeling and their experience when they're dealing with you or when they're dealing in your industry or competitor. What's next? Now that we have this, we've, we've done these interviews, we've got this big bucket of information. How do we make this actionable? Right, right. Absolutely. So first of all, you may hear some things that are so obvious and so quickly actionable that you're just like, you know, you you hear it in one or two interviews, you're like, oh, well, duh, let's go fix that right now. Very often that happens. You just learn quick things and they're so quick and easy to do. You're just like, great, let's go do it. So those are obviously the easy ones. Sometimes you also hear some other things that, you know, gosh, you know, you talk to 10 people and two or three of them have had this issue or concern. And sometimes you're not sure how to quantify it. You know, one of the things is if you talk to 10 people and three of them have a problem, does that mean 30% of all your customers have that problem? Not necessarily, because you don't really know if that's a representative sample. So one of the things that we like to do sometimes is then do some surveys. Use a tool like SurveyMonkey, and there are some best practices in how to write survey questions, and we offer some guidance on that in the book. But get a survey out. You know, you can send an email out to all your customers and say, hey, you know, win an Amazon gift card or whatever. You know, we'd really value your feedback. And what I like to do with surveys after the interviews is because then you know what to ask. 
It's, if you just start with a survey, how satisfied are you? You know, those are very vague questions. But when you hear 30% of your customers saying they're concerned about your payment plan, you can now ask everybody, hey, is this an issue for you? Has this held you back? Those types of things. And you can do a better job if you get 600 people to fill out a survey. Now you have a much larger data set and it's more mathematical versus in research, we sometimes talk about qualitative and quantitative research. So the interviews are more qualitative and the surveys are more quantitative because generally speaking, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to prioritize. You're probably going to hear about a lot of things and some of them are going to be easy, quick things. And that's an instant prioritization. Others may be more work to figure out what to do about them, but you need to prioritize the problems to solve. And one of the methods that we like to use is to figure out, well, first of all, how bad is this problem? If, you know, like, is this a minor? Eh, it would be nice if you did X, but it's not really holding you back. Or is this really a, a big sort of negative wart on the customer's experience, whether it's a sales issue or a service issue or whatever? And then the second question is, well, how many people does it affect? You know, if it only affects people who are paying with American Express, well, that's not everybody. What is that? 15, 20%, you know, or whatever. So that multiplication factor of like, how bad is it and how prevalent is it? Because many problems just by the nature don't affect everybody. They only affect people that have the product delivered, not that buy it in the store or what have you. And that starts to give you a sense of the potential impact of solving a problem, those two things. And then on the other side, you want to look at, well, what's the effort? What's it going to take? Is this the kind of thing that I could spend an afternoon and fix? Or is this going to cost me $80,000 and a three-month project? And then you have, just like any other business decision, you have to weigh those and say, well, you know, it may be worth it to do the three months and the $80,000 if it doubles my business. That sounds like a no-brainer for many businesses. And that's when you have to kind of do that balance. And sometimes we like to make those, if you've ever seen like a Gartner magic quadrant chart, you know, where you plot everything and one axis is level of effort and one axis is level of impact. And you can start to visualize that and say, which of the things, some of the things are no brainers, right? The high effort, low impact things, you're probably never going to do. The high impact, low effort things you should probably just do right now. And the other stuff you need to sort through and make some decisions. But what I would encourage everyone to think about is consistent progress. You want to not get overwhelmed by all the things you can fix. In fact, sometimes people get depressed. When you do this work wrong, you telegraph to your client, your customer, that you just want to hear what's great. And then you feel good, but you don't get any business impact. When you do it right, and I'm trying to give you some techniques to do it right, but again, there's more in the book, you learn the reality of where your customers are not totally satisfied. And think about the brands that you do business with as an individual. You're probably dissatisfied in some way with almost every brand you do business with. Every brand you do business with probably could improve. In, I mean, there's some things. I love Amazon. I give them huge amounts of money, but there are some things that they could definitely improve. So you know, you don't want to feel overwhelmed. In fact, what I always say is, first of all, if you're hearing lots of negative stuff, you should be excited. You should celebrate because this is a podcast about growth, right? If you want to grow and you learn from your customers that there is nothing you could do better, you are already at 100% of the potential level of satisfaction they could have, how are you going to grow? If you discover that, wow, as successful as my business is now, there's a whole bunch of areas that my customers are dissatisfied. They're still doing business with me, but they're dissatisfied. Imagine how much more I could be doing if I start to pick away at those dissatisfiers. And then make a schedule. And you might say, okay, I can do some quick no-brainers, but it's going to take me quite a while to get through all of these areas of medium effort or large effort dissatisfaction or problems or challenges. But hey, listen, as of yesterday, none of them were done. So instead of seeing it as a bad thing that, oh my God, I have a huge to-do list. How will I ever get it done? Think of it as, hey, I have all these opportunities to step up, go up the staircase each month or each quarter to get better and better and better. And then just prioritize and decide through that combination of, 
what can we get done this month? What resources do we have available? What investment, which people are, have time and availability? Let's tackle this marketing issue. Let's tackle this fulfillment issue. Let's tackle this product issue, whatever it may be, and just create a roadmap and schedule out over time. And then you'll know your next year or two of improvements. Love it. And this isn't just like a one-time journey, right? Smart businesses do this on an ongoing basis. You know, Sometimes it's in different product segments. Sometimes it's in different verticals. Sometimes it's based upon changes in, you know, in the business that themselves. But ultimately, customer research and understanding your customer is an ongoing effort. It's not a one-time, you know, going to last for five years because again, things change extremely rapidly now, even without a pandemic. So I love that. Listen, is there anything else you want to add? I got a couple more rapid fire questions and then we're going to wrap it up for today. Uh, no, I think, the, I, you know, I think that gives a good overview of the process to find yeah, the research questions conduct a variety of research techniques. Again, there's more techniques described in the book, but just these will give you what you need and then go through a prioritization process. And just remember, if you're not sure where to start, just start somewhere. If you have 10 great opportunities to improve the experience, don't obsess over which one is a little bit better than the other one. Just pick the one that's practical to start working on and start doing that. And then the one last thing I'll mention uh, is measure. Ask yourself, you know, the way I like to think about it is, the research shows you problems. Then you have to come up with the solutions. The research not, may not tell you the solutions. Hopefully, you have enough resourcefulness and creativity to come up with solutions. But a solution to me is always a hypothesis. You've identified a problem and you believe that the solution might solve the problem. If it's easy to implement, then you should just implement it. If it's difficult or expensive, you might want to create a prototype or something and go back to a few customers and do a little bit more research and say, hey, if I were to make this change or that change, you know, how would that affect your feeling about the pricing or the product or, or whatever the issue is before you start the full investment? So you can do additional research to actually validate a specific idea. And then I think you also want to ask yourself for anything you're looking to improve, how are you going to measure the success of that? And how will you know whether your hypothesis really proved true, whether that's through your web tracking metrics or ongoing surveys you're going to do of your customers, like you said, or whatever it may be. So you want to always be thinking about how that measurement and that data can keep coming back to you because you know you may get it wrong. You may have the right problem, the wrong solution, and you want to know that as quickly as possible so you can continue to iterate. Love it. Hey, listen, two rapid fire questions and we're going to wrap it up for today. What's your favorite growth tool, software, app, something you use in your business to help you guys grow? You know, Everybody has their favorite. If you had to pick one, what would it be? Well, at this moment, I have to say writing a book. I don't know that that's right for everybody, but I think the, the way that you know publishing is so much more accessible these days I learned through the process of writing my own book that business books are getting shorter and shorter. So while to some people, it may seem like an overwhelming thing to do, when you have a book in whatever your niche is, whether you're a chiropractor or you're a, you make wedding cakes or you're a car mechanic, whatever, all of a sudden you have the potential to be seen as a, a more of an expert in your field. You may already be an expert, but nothing proves that you're an expert. And while a book doesn't prove it, it tends to position you that way. And so that's the one tactic that's meant the most for my business over the last you know, number of months. And so that's the one that's foremost on my mind. Love it. And what would be one book that you would recommend to the audience besides your book, obviously, which we're going to talk about how they can get that. What would be one book you would recommend to the audience that's helped you on your journey or you think might help them on theirs? There's so many great books. Yeah, um, I know. It's hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat and I'm going to say two. First of all, when it comes to the area that I'm in and talking about digital and digital transformation, I love the book Digital Darwinism by Tom Goodwin. That is a fantastic book I recommend all the time. And I've been very involved in Tony Robbins for years. And I think the Tony Robbins uh, books, Awaken the Giant Within, for example, are fantastic. You know, it's been several decades since he's written that book, but he has tremendous insights for how you kind of get your mindset oriented towards success. And I think that uh, that or Napoleon Hill, uh, books like that 
are, you know, uh, are think and grow rich, you know, things like that are, are hugely important for people who are in business. Love it. I third book, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> you squeaked it in under the wire. And listen, I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins. My first personal development book that I ever read back in the early nineties was Awaken the Giant from Within. So yeah, so exactly. Well, listen, Howard, I appreciate you being here today. It's obvious you're a wealth of knowledge around digital transformation. So let everybody know how they can connect with you, maybe learn how they can get a copy of your book, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Absolutely. Well, I'm all over social media. So you can find me on uh, primarily Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. That's easy. Just look for my name. You can go to the website for my book, which is winningdigitalcustomers.com. And if you go there, you can actually download the first chapter of the book for free, if you like, as well as get discounts on the book. So I would encourage everyone, if you're interested in the book at all, head on over there and uh, read the first chapter for free and decide if you want more. Love it. Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance. Go grab a copy. Appreciate you being here. I'll put all those links in the show notes and we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thanks, Dennis. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.